Hebrews chapter number 4. Um, I'm going to read this morning a very, a very common passage of Scripture. Many of us are familiar with Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, and, and so forth and so on. We'll read it here in a moment. I quote that piece of it just to kind of give you a little bit of, okay, I, I know that verse. That's something that's very, very common. I'd like to preach it this morning somewhat within the context of, of what it was written for. Give us a little bit of a context for that verse of Scripture. I want to start um, by saying that uh, this message might be somewhat challenging and difficult this morning. We have uh, people here that are probably young in the faith that have not known the Lord for a long period of time who might be um, still growing in the very basic sanctification processes and a message, uh, a text like this can be very, very disheartening to them, um, maybe cause them to be fearful. And I, we don't, I, don't want that to be, I don't want that to be the case. Um, there might be some here in the church that are uh, well uh, down the road and down the journey uh, of the Christian life, and this message is not meant to, to um, uh, cause you to doubt where you're at spiritually. I really just want to unfold this passage of Scripture, and I want the Lord to use it to impact your heart, because the author is, is writing a message by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to, to a group of people who saw themselves as being very, very spiritual people. And they saw themselves almost, if you think about it from the perspective of, they, they thought themselves to have arrived spiritually. And, uh, and you think about the, we go back to Exodus, uh, really chapter number 12 and thereafter, you see these people of God coming out of Egypt and, um, and, and experiencing some great victories going through the Red Sea. You see a lot of things taking place there. But you also see a lot of failures. You see a lot of doubts and a lot of things also taking place at the same time. Whenever It's interesting how the Christian life works. It seems like we get to a place where we feel really good about ourselves. We feel really comfortable, right? We feel like we're, 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 we're making progress, right? And then what does the Lord throw in front of us? It's like, well, you know what? There's no water. So right away, I mean, we, we're, we're at peace with God, we're doing really good, we just went through the Red Sea, everything is great, now there's no water, now our, now our faith is tested, isn't it? So these people who had quote-unquote arrived, their faith is immediately tested, and now they're no longer, no longer full of faith, are they? This passage of Scripture is meant to deal with that. It's meant to really to bring some exposure to, to a life that claims to be um, resting in Christ and to really determine whether or not it's really resting in Christ. There's nothing worse than to think about a Matthew 7 type of a person who, who enters heaven's gates and says, Lord, have we not done all of these things in your name? I mean, literally, we could all put ourselves in those shoes, couldn't we? We could all think about all the things that we've done for God and to have the words come out of his mouth, I never knew you, depart from me. What a horrible state to be in. This is, the, this is the essence of this passage of Scripture. The title of my message this morning, if you are taking notes and you have it in your notes, is Jesus is better, which is the theme of Hebrews, right? Jesus is better. All throughout Hebrews, you will see that Jesus is better. And then my, the title ends with, or is he? 
Jesus is better or is he? Is Jesus really better? Is Jesus really superior? Is Jesus really supreme? Is Jesus really sovereign? I'm not asking you this morning if you don't, if you believe that as a truth. I'm asking you this morning if you believe that as a practical way of life, if you believe it as a reality. Jesus is better is not just an uh, 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 information that we attain in our minds. It's a truth that guides our lives. It's a truth that we walk with each and every day, and it, it sustains us. It strengthens us. It causes us to be restful in difficult situations. It causes us to be trustful in doubtful situations. Is Jesus really better to us? Or do we just have a knowledge of this information that we've never seen come to practical fruition in our lives? This question, and I'm going to just read it to you, and I'll, and I'll read these thoughts to you as well. So, so follow along with me. We're just going to read 11 through 13. The uh, author says, the Lord says, the God has written this through his um, Holy Spirit, so we'll just call it the Lord says since we don't know the author. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest and the rest that he's speaking of is mentioned in chapter 3 and chapter number 4. So we, if you need to go back to that, you can, and you'll find out what rest he's talking about. Remember, the rest that he's dealing with is both sal- salvation rest, which means the moment somebody gets saved, they enter into this restfulness. It's also sanctification rest. It also is the uh, outworking of that rest in, a daily, in daily life. He says, let us therefore, based upon the information previously given, strive to enter this rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience or, as some versions say, unbelief. It's an interchangeable word there. You could say um, unbelief and disobedience are, are the same thing. Unbelief leads to disobedience. For the word of God is living. You notice the word for at the beginning. So he says, strive to enter this rest because, that's what that word for means, because. So we're getting ready to see why we should count this entering into God's rest so significant and so important. We must strive to enter God's rest because. I've heard this verse used in many different, perhaps, um, un- or non-textural ways. What he's describing is, is why it's important to make sure that you're in this rest. Because the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, no creation, nothing that is created is hidden from his sight, but all are open, and, and, and uh, the word naked, all are, are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Why do we count this entering into this rest, making sure that we're in this rest, making sure that we are saved, that we are not just saved intellectually, that we believe these as factual truths, but we're saved practically, that these truths are working out in our lives every single day. The, 
the Galatians 5, that I walk through life and I'm like, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, all of those things are just flowing through me. Why is it important that we make that an issue in our lives? You say, Pastor John, I said a prayer when I was six years old, I'm in. I know I'm in, I have no doubts that I'm in. Yes, I'm living like the devil, but I have no doubts that I'm in. The danger is, is that's why this verse is written Strive to enter. Make sure that you're in because the word of God is quick and powerful. And we'll see why in a few moments. Remember this. This question is not meant to challenge the fact Jesus is better. But it's rather a question of analysis. Is Jesus better to you? Is Jesus really better to you? Is Jesus better than your religion? Is Jesus better than your righteousness? Is Jesus better than your ability and strength? Is Jesus better than money, power, position, pleasure, popularity, success? Is Jesus more satisfying than sex, drugs, alcohol, and pornography? The question is, is Jesus better? Is he really better at the core of who I am, if I'm to be opened up today and God is to remove my physical, what I say and and all of these things that are physical and just simply expose what's in my heart, would he see that Jesus is better to me? This is a very, very serious question. This is a very, very probing question. This is a, a question that is to analyze and expose who we are. Many of us acknowledge that Jesus is better as a fact, but do we really believe Jesus is better as a practice? Do we find rest each day because you are satisfied in Jesus Christ? Or is there something else needed to make you satisfied and restful? You say, I'm satisfied with Jesus, but I would really like this to happen. It would really satisfy me more. Why is Jesus not enough? If I'm satisfied with Jesus, I'm satisfied with Jesus. Listen to what Psalm 73 says. Whom have I in heaven but you, verse 25, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Nothing on earth that I desire except you. And we could all say, oh me, on that one. Is that not true? If we're honest with ourselves this morning, is that not true? There's nothing on earth that I desire but you, Lord. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. John chapter number 4 and John chapter number 6, Jesus is called the water of life and the bread of life. You guys are familiar with these passages of Scripture. Jesus says in those texts, if you partake of me by faith, if you drink of me like you would drink of water, if you take the bread that I am and you eat of the bread that I am, he says this, you will never thirst and you will never hunger again. What an extraordinary promise, right? Isn't that an amazing promise? If you partake of Jesus... 
If you accept him, believe on him, and embrace him by faith, you will never hunger and you will never thirst again. And all God's people said, why then do we walk through life hungry and thirsty? Folks, we know, we know these truths. We know these truths. We know what we're supposed to say. We know that we're, what we're supposed to think. But Jesus is saying in this text, I am going to open you up. And I am going to show what's in the core of who you are. It's not going to matter what you say or what you think. What's going to matter is what is there when I expose you. That's what matters. Yes, Jesus is the bread of life. Yes, Jesus is the water of life. And he promises to satisfy completely. And we all say amen to that, but yet we live unsatisfied lives. We live lives of discontentment. We live lives of worry. We live lives of stress. What happened to Jesus satisfying us? What happened to it? Where did Jesus go? I tell you, I, I pictured it this week as I was preparing my message. I pictured a, a group of people watching a, 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 a superstar, you know, and, and cheering for him and thinking, wow, it's an amazing guy. And, and I pictured God in the background, this, this enormous God saying, hey, I'm here. I'm here. We lose sight of what's big because we take, we take interest in what's small. Why? If Jesus is all satisfying, if he says in this text, if you have the rest, you will never, you will, you will rest forever. And you say to yourself, I'm not even resting today. Why? We've got to evaluate. Again, I know that there are people who are struggling and wrestling and, and you're just young in the faith and you're, you're working towards these things. I, I get that. I'm really not even focused as much on those people today as much as it is on the ones who have been saved for, for, I wanted to say forever, but nobody's saved forever, but you get my picture. And yet we walk in complaining and murmuring and, and discontent and dissatisfaction. We walk in all of these things. What has, what, what has happened to our God? What are we communicating to the world around us when we live this way? Our God is just small he is enormous. He's bigger than our minds can even fathom. So we see the importance. Is Jesus, it's evaluating ourselves, is Jesus really better to us? In this text that we read this morning, and we're going to expose here in a moment, we are admonished to make sure. We're admonished to evaluate. We're admonished to check up on ourselves to see whether or not Jesus is everything to us. You'll remember the parables in Matthew 13. He says, if you find a treasure that's hidden in the field and you sell all that you have and you go to buy it because of the joy of that treasure, that picture of Christ. It's not about having all of your stuff and then going and buying that field and having your stuff and Christ. It's about having Christ alone. The reason why Jesus told the rich man in Matthew 19 that you've got to sell all that you have and give it to the poor was not that selling all that you have and giving it to the poor will save anyone. 
But I will tell you this, that if you're holding on to something other than Jesus, it will keep everyone from being saved. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself. See whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself? In other words, are you not, is it not clear that Christ is in you? He says, unless indeed you fail the test. And then 2 Peter 1 and verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Let's look at a few things this morning, three things from our text. And I just want to spend a little bit of time unpacking them. Number one, the resolve to enter. We must be resolved to enter into this rest. He tells us in verse number 11, let us therefore, let us therefore strive to enter this rest. Now the reason why the author says that we should strive to enter this rest is simple. If you go back several verses before, the Bible says that there's this huge group of people and they all hear the promise of God. They all hear, they all heard the promise. This comes from the beginning of chapter number four. They all hear the promise from God, right? And not all of them enter into the promise of God. So they, while they hear, the picture is, is a lot of those people knew the truth. They knew the truth intellectually. They had it down pat. They knew their theology. They had it all laid out. It was all in nice, fine, you know, it's like you pull out the... You pull out the um, the file drawer, thank you, whoever helped me with that. And you have all of your theology laid out just nicely and prettily. You can go and say, well, this is the doctrine of this. And you have everything laid out very, very nicely. This is the picture of those who have heard these things, studied these things. Matthew 13 tells us about them. But they've never become real to them. They've never become personal or practical to them. They've just filled their heads with knowledge, haven't filled their heart with the Lord. There is a difference. There is a distinction. So here's why we need to strive to enter that rest. Number one, some heard the promise and did not enter that rest. Some heard the promise but did not enter that rest. In other words, there can be people who have a great theological system in place and not enter into the rest of the Lord. This should concern us. The Bible tells us in Romans 1, for although they knew God, they knew God, they knew who he was, they knew the information about him, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking or selfish in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is a religious foolishness. This is God information. They felt to be wise, but they were really fools. So why do we want to strive to enter? Number one, because some heard in this text and did not enter. We also want to strive to enter, number two, because some experience the wrath of God or the chastening of God in the wilderness and did enter. In other words, some heard the promise and didn't enter. Others heard, you will not enter. 
and they did enter. This is hope for us. This is hope for every unbeliever who today is not saved. They hear the words of God, you are condemned. The words of God, you are unsaved. You are the enemy of God. They hear that, but there is still hope that by faith, after hearing those condemnations, that they can still enter. Strive to enter. Why? Because some heard and some didn't enter. Some had all of the theology in line and didn't walk through the pearly gates. I pray that it's not about, I pray that I walk through the pearly gates not based upon my theology, but based upon my relationship with Christ. I know that I will not enter the gates without a relationship with Christ, no matter what I know. Some heard the promise and did not enter. Some heard the condemnation and did enter. This is hopeful for us. Let us strive because this is true. Some experienced the wrath of God but did not, but did enter. How did they enter? Number three in, in, in this. How did they enter? They entered because they believed. They embraced what the Lord was saying. They embraced their unworthiness. They embraced their sinfulness. They embraced what they deserved. And the Lord showed them mercy and grace. This is how we get saved, 1 John 1 and verse 9. If you confess your sins, we embrace what God says about us. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, what does this resolve look like? What is the idea of striving? Let me just say this very quickly. This is not working. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite would be true about this phrase. It means to be diligent, to be serious, to be hasty, to endeavor towards something, but not to work for it. The, the danger of endeavoring and, and uh, being serious and being diligent is that we create some kind of works that we can do to get it. It's so serious that we have it, we want to create some way to get it that we can control, right? What he's saying is to strive to get something that you have no ability to get. God must grant it to you. It is a gift from him, but strive for it. And the Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, all those who, oh man, all right, I'm turning there. It's all right, I'll be okay. Come unto me, <laughs> all you who are weary and heavy laden, right? And I will give you Rest. Strive, the Bible says in Matthew 7, strive to enter at the narrow gate because broad is the way, because, and easy is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way and difficult is the way that leads to everlasting life. This is a serious thing. It's not a small thing. It's, it's a major thing. We should, we should be serious about it. The Bible tells us in Matthew 9, 23 to 24, he tells them, I'm not going to read it to you, but he says, it's harder for a man, a rich man to be saved than it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And the problem is not that that camel, his problem is not that that, that camel needs to do something to get through that eye of a needle. The problem is it's impossible to go through that eye of a needle for that camel, especially when it's, bit, when it's burdened down with all of our stuff. Not just imagine a camel going through the eye of a needle, but he talks about a rich man, right? So imagine the same camel laden down with many things. 
You ain't going to get through the eye of the needle with all of those things on your camel. Get rid of them. And they can be a number of different things. They can be good works. They can be our kindnesses. They can be whatever you can throw into there to think, man, that this is why I should get through this needle. And the Lord says, you ain't getting through. This is serious. Strive means be serious about it. Take it seriously. John 3, he must increase, but I must decrease. James 4 says he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, he says the same thing. We must be minimized and he must be maximized. We must recognize our inability and our unworthiness. And then he shows us grace and mercy as a... um, product of his kindness and mercy and grace. Let's go on. Number two, the reason to evaluate. Why should we evaluate ourselves this morning? Why should you evaluate yourself? You said, I've been in the church my whole life, Pastor John. Why should I evaluate myself now? Here's why. Two things. Number one is the word of God is going to honestly and precisely evaluate you. The word of God is going to honestly and with precision evaluate you. And here's what he says. This is the whole meaning of this this verse. The word of God is quick and powerful. It's talking about, in that simple phrase, it's talking about the nature of the word. When we think of the word of God, we think of it as as a book, don't we? It's kind of like, yeah, we can do with it what we want. We can leave what we don't, we want. We We can leave what we don't want. We can take what we do want. We kind of look at it that way, don't we? Kind of minimize it in that way. Ah, I can take and leave. It's kind of like that. This is, not a, this is not a dead book. It's alive. It's living. This is not talking about it being living and how it can make you have a better life. This is talking about it being living as to how it will judge you. That's what it's referring to. Not how it's going to make you have a better life. He's talking about judgment here. He's talking about unfolding who you are. The word of God is alive. It's capable of unpacking us in a living way. Unfolding who we are. Exposing who we are. The word of God is alive. It's not dead. It's not empty. It's not fruitless. It is living. This is the nature of it. It is breathing. That's what it means. It is breathing. It's alive. It's as if God is speaking to us and he's writing it down, but it's just as much as it's just as real as if he was speaking it to us. It's just as true, just as accurate, and just as one day will come true as if he was speaking it to us with his own words. It's not only alive, but it's active, the Bible says. The word active here is the idea of energy. It's full of energy. It's effective. It's operative. It's not tired or exhausted. It's not sleeping. But the word of God is is energetic. We would love sometimes for the word of God to kind of lax, right? We're we're walking in sin, doing what we want to do. And we're like, "Ah, I I I hope God is not watching right now. The word of God is energized all the time. It's full of power. It's always that way. It's not weak, it's not frail, it's not blind. It is alive. The Bible tells us in uh, 2 Timothy 3, the word of God, all scripture, the word of God is given by 
inspiration of God or it's been breathed out by him. And it is profitable to us. He says the regards to the nature of the word, it is, it is living, it is alive, it is active. Not only is it living and alive, but then we see the precision of the word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word sharper here literally means to cut with one stroke. You, know, you ever seen somebody that had a, a sharp knife, a super sharp knife, and they might want to illustrate it to you by holding up a piece of paper and going, shh, right? Cutting right down that paper without holding any force on it, just letting that paper flop there and then cutting it with a knife. That's a sharp knife, right? That's this knife. That's the Word of God knife. It is sharp. The word not only means the, the idea of sharpness, but it means it's comprehensive, it's, it's decisive, it's precise in its cutting. It's two-edged, meaning that both sides of it are sharpened, not just one side where you cut down, but you can come back up again and you can cut that paper again. It's two-sided sharp. It's a knife that's meant to cut flesh. It's a picture of a, of a knife cutting flesh. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God and its exposing of who we are is sharp. It's sharp. It's not just cutting out the, the, little, the little sore on your hand, but it's getting down to the cancer that's there. It's, 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 it's getting beyond the surface and getting down to the core, to the root. Why? Because this is important. It's a sharp sword. It's not only a sharp sword, but it's a piercing sword. The word here means to penetrate or to go through. And it's interesting because it's followed by two words that are important. It says, piercing even to. In other words, it gives us the distance or the, the depth, if you will, of how sharp that sword is or how far it's going to cut. It can cut beyond the... It literally means that he can... The word of God will cut beyond the flesh. And we can think about a sword if it goes through something. It's a sharp sword if it goes into something, it might be a little bit sharp if it hits it and it doesn't do anything. It's, it's a dull sword. This sword goes beyond the body completely. It goes even, it says, it goes, it goes through, it pierces even to the soul of man. It's not even about our bodies anymore, but now it's about, it's piercing into the core of who we are. Even to means as far as until to this point. The word of God goes beyond the superficial. It goes beyond the surface. Well, I go to church. I do good deeds. I give in the offering. I've been baptized and catechized. And listen, none of these things are bad things. But when the Lord opens up you completely, he's not going to be looking for those things. He's going to be looking for a heart that is built in Christ. A heart that is focused on Christ, that Christ is better than everything and nothing compares to Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 6.14, the Bible says of the prophets during Jeremiah's days, they have healed a wound of my people slightly. Saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. The Lord tells Samuel, when he's anointing David in 1 Samuel 16, do not look on the outward appearance. God does not look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. The precision of the word. Number three, the discernment 
of the word. Here's what he says here. He says, it pierces, it goes beyond piercing to, even to the division of soul and spirit. In other words, there's, there's two words here. It's division and discerner. This is what it does, the word does. And first of all, it discerns between or divides between physical that means animalistic. That means the things that we just do by nature, the things that we do because we want to, right? Okay? Do people come to church sometimes because they want to? It's just their animalistic nature to do so? Sure they do. Do people good, do good deeds sometimes because it's just their animalistic nature to do so? Do animals sometimes help each other? Sure they do. There are cer certain things that we just do because they're built into our Physical nature. This says that he's going to divide like a sword. He's going to divide between that which you're just doing because you're physically driven to do it. You were taught it by your parents or whatever. And that which is actually spiritual, which is God doing it in you and through you. You see, your life can be full of good things and you can still be over here because it's just all been driven into you physically and God is saying the only thing that should confirm us as being children of God is what's going on over here, which is God doing something through you spiritually. His power and his might and his spirit being manifested through you having nothing to do with your physical being. Listen to me. That is what God is going to do with us. That is what the word of God does to us. It exposes that. Why do you think we live in a world today that is so spiritually minded but has very little interest in being biblically minded? Because the Bible is going to expose those things. The discerning of the word is between that which is physical and that which is spiritual. He goes also and says it's the discerner of the joints and the marrow. What are the joints and the marrow for? What do joints and marrow do? They hold you together, don't they? The Lord says he's going to discern what holds you together. Right? What holds you together this morning? When you go through struggles and difficulties and temptations and, 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 and challenges, what do you go to to hold you together? The Lord is going to discern that. He's going to cut it open. He's going to expose it. Are you going to Jesus when you're struggling with difficulty? Are you going to some kind of uh, fleshly, physical gratification that helps you deal with your struggles? The Lord is going to discern that. He's already discerning it through his word. The joints and the marrow, those things that hold us together, what, is those, what are those things? Is it the word? Is it prayer? Is it the church? I, I've heard... I've heard more times than not in my life, people say to me, if you said it to me, then please don't feel offended. <laughs> I want to say it, though. Say to me, I've just been through too many troubles right now to come to church. And I think to myself, no, no, you miss, you're missing it. The church is meant to be there when you're going through troubles. The best time to be in church is when things are not going the way that you think they should. It's so amazing the devil has taught us to go to the bottle or taught us to go to drugs or pornography or sex or something to bring satisfaction in the midst of great difficulty, right? You can just shake your head. All of us will shake our head together and we won't point our fingers at anybody because we all have that struggle, right? Everybody's like, not me, no. right? We know we all do it. It's a battle for every one of us. 
the Lord says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to expose that. It's going to be exposed. Don't live in some kind of a ethereal, some kind of self-made world that you think it's not going to be exposed. Everything that's done in secret, the Bible says, will one day be what? It's going to be exposed. This is serious. Joints and marrow. And then he says, it's also discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It means it goes beyond the physical and it goes into the spiritual. It goes beyond what you do to why you do it. The word thought literally means the thought process that you go through to make a decision. Right? It's not just the decision that you made, but what did you think about when you made that decision? What was motivating you to make that decision? Was Jesus, Jesus is why I made this decision. Or no, something else. That's going to be exposed. That's what the word thoughts there means. He's going to unfold your thinking process. He's going to unpack why you did what you did. It's pretty serious, right? And then he says not just your thought process, your thinking process, but now your motives. Not just what you thought through to get there, but why you ended up doing it. They're somewhat similar, but there's a distinction. He's going to expose these things. Romans 3.19 says... For we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable or may be guilty before God. Because the word of God is going to expose us, we must take this seriously. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, two, all the ways of men are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord weighs the spirit. The Lord weighs the motives. That's what the text says. God weighs our hearts. This is a serious thing. So first of all, it's serious because God's word is going to expose you. Number two, or number three, I think it is. It is serious because the God of the word is going to judge you. Listen to what he says here in this verse. He says, and... He's, he's, he's adding to, the word of God is going to expose you, and in addition to this, no creature is hidden from the sight of him. He's, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom they must give an account. Not only is the word of God going to unfold us, take us and uh, remove all of our excuses and know exactly where we are, but the God of the word is going to expose us. God is the final judge. The Bible says all will be judged here. Nothing, it says, is hidden from God. Everything is exposed. This word simply means unclothed. That's why it uses the word naked. But it actually goes beyond the idea of being unclothed physically the word literally leans towards and promotes the idea of being unclothed of your body. In other words, God's going to take everything physical about us, remove it, and see who we are. Everything is exposed before God. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 15, 11, hell 
and Abaddon, or the grave and Abaddon, lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of men. Everything is exposed, and then everyone is guilty. The last word of this text, or the last word here in regards to being exposed is the, is the word exposed in the ESV. The word, the word has a little bit of a different meaning to it. I think it's valuable to understand it. The, the word means to be found guilty. And the picture of the word is literally a, an animal that has been caught by the, it's a, it's a sacrificial picture. And you'll see in the next phrase about the high priest, but it's a sacrificial picture where the, where, the, where the priest grabs the animal by the head, he pulls his neck back, okay? That's the picture of that exposure right there. It, it literally means to ex- expose the esophagus, to expose the neck, so think about it with me for a moment. Everybody is naked before God. We agree with that this morning. Everything about us, God knows it. But here's the point where not only do we accept that we're naked before God, but we accept that we are guilty before God. Here, here is the picture that, that the, the high priest has grabbed the, the hair of that animal, the wool, pulled it back, and he's ready to slice his neck. He has exposed his neck. That's the level of guilt that we live in. And then he says, to whom we have to do. The interesting thing about the last part of this verse is simple. The last part of this verse, to whom we have to give an account, comes from the Greek word logos. You know what that means? That word logos means? You've probably heard of it before. It means the word. He says, everything is open and naked. To whom has given us the word? It goes right back to the Word. The God of the Word. The God of the Word will judge us. The Word judges us as well. Let me close with these thoughts. I'm going to give you a few. Please don't. um, Please just listen. I know I'm not going to unpack the rest of this passage because it will take too long. But here's what he points them to next. He points them to the good high priest. He points them to the good high priest. The picture is this. We are naked and open before God. Our heads have been pulled back. Our neck is exposed. And the the priest is preparing to, to kill us because we are guilty before God, right? Every man is guilty before God. And the high priest, the good high priest, he tells us in the next passage, go to the high priest of your soul. He's talking about Jesus Christ, who was a sacrifice, who stood in your place, who who had his head pulled back for you. He was innocent. You were guilty. Your head was pulled back in guilt. And Jesus Christ stepped into your place and said, I will take their guilt and I will take their punishment. You see, the issue this morning is this. Many of us have never gotten to a place in our spiritual life or in our life's period where we have seen ourselves with our heads pulled back and with the knife there saying you are guilty and then embracing what Jesus Christ did for us, running to Jesus. It doesn't, you don't run to Jesus until you see your head pulled back. That's the picture in this text. See who you are. See your guilt. See that you're exposed before God. He sees everything that you've done in your life, every motive, every thought, every intent. He sees it all. See that and see your guilt and know that Jesus is good, that he is sufficient, that he died 
for your sins and that he can, that he can make you free. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus that we love and serve and embrace. And listen to me, that Jesus that can save you, can deliver you from whatever you're finding is big today. He's bigger. He's better. We need to see ourselves here and then see him there for us. That's the gospel. That's who Jesus Christ is. Let us stop living lives full of a little Jesus and live lives full of a big Jesus. He's massive. He's massive. Run to him. Go to the high priest. He says, go to the high priest with boldness and you will find help and strength in times of need. Go to him. But man, you will never go to him until you see yourself here. Exposed before God. Naked before his word. Guilty. Guilty is all get out. And Jesus comes in for those guilty sinners. He says that he gave us the law so that everybody might be seen as guilty. That we all might be under sin so that he might show mercy on all. That's the gospel. We run to him. The response that we're looking for is a response of honesty, of hopelessness. The response of repentance, of acknowledgement of your sin. Repentance doesn't come to God and say, I repent Therefore, you owe me. Repentance comes to God and say, I repent, and therefore, you don't owe me. A preacher once said, repentance does not excuse the responsibility. It embraces the responsibility. We go to Jesus in repentance. We confess our unworthiness. We confess that we're guilty, and we deserve nothing but condemnation. We deserve to have our necks slit but we also go to him in faith and we believe that he will deliver us. Let me ask you something this morning. Where are you at? Where are you at? This is not something that we want to take lightly. I'm not here to discourage you. I'm not here to dishearten you. I'm, I'm here to challenge you that you're, Jesus is big. Jesus is better. Jesus is sufficient. He is good. He is merciful and gracious. Find your life and find your hope in him. It's amazing how many dead people complain, right? We all claim, I am dead in Christ, but I, I'd sure like this. Well, you're not dead in Christ. You're alive in yourself. You need to be dead in Christ so that you can be alive in Christ. Jesus is good. He is sufficient. Please don't wait let me give you some final thoughts. Please don't wait until you stand before God to figure this out. He is the final judge. He will judge perfectly. He will judge right, righteously. He has given us his word to reveal to us whether or not we are resting in him. He has given us his word to expose us. Isn't it the kindness of God to say, listen, I'm going to one day, I'm going to open you up like a surgeon does. But I'm going to, I'm going to open you up before you get here. I'm going, to give you the, I'm going to give you the scalpel called the word of God. It's going to open you up. Isn't that a kindness of God? Isn't that an amazing, extraordinary grace of God? He has given us his word to reveal these things to us, to show us who we are and to show us who we need to be. You must read it, be exposed by it, and trust what he has said in it. 
A.W. Tozer said it this way, and I want you to think about this quote in closing. A.W. Tozer said this, why wait until you can do nothing to stand before the judge when you have the opportunity to stand before his word today? Why wait until you can do nothing to stand before the judge when you can stand before him and his word today and do something? And I don't mean do something to save yourself, but you can, you can get on your knees before God and you can confess and acknowledge that and he will save you. Why wait until you're standing before him when he has said to you, you can stand before me now and you can be saved? My heart to you this morning, my heart for you, my heart for us, is that we find peace in Christ, that Christ becomes everything to us. Not just for salvation. If you're not saved this morning, my heart burns for you to find Jesus Christ as everything. Because that, my friend, is the only hope you have of entering this rest and also entering heaven's rest. Those of you who claim that's to be true, my challenge to you this morning is, Maybe we need to step back and do some evaluating. It's important enough to do it. Find out why am I not resting, Lord, in this life? Do I truly believe and trust in you? Or am I just kind of thinking that that's like a religious thing that we need to do to get into heaven? We need to do some evaluating. If you're not saved this morning, you need to put your faith in Christ. If you are saved this morning, you need to grow in your faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us the book that is able to show us where we're at and it's honest with us. It's, 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 it's always going to be precise and honest in, in what it does and how it does it. And we just pray, Lord God, that you would use it to expose us, help us to, to listen to it, to... Um, hear what it's saying with humility, with an interest in, in knowing the truth about ourselves, Lord God, so that we can then surrender and repent and put our faith in Christ for eternity's sake. Please help us, Lord. Help us to be the people that you want us to be. Help us to love, to rest, to walk with you each day. In Christ's name.